Well, hey, good morning. Um, you know, I, I have shared, my name is Rick Smith and I serve on the equipping team here at Watermark. And if you've been here before, you might've heard me share that I, I do not like to fly. I am not a flyer. God is working in my heart and my life to help me to do that better uh, with the help of some medication. That's another message for another day. But um, I have had a lot of road trips because of that. And so I want you to think about something. Maybe this takes you back to your college days. So maybe this is not a good thing for me to help you to do this morning. But I want you to think back to a time when you've taken a road trip with some friends and it was crazy. You might have some road trip memories. I'm talking like National Lampoon's vacation type memories. I have several of those. I'll tell you a couple of them. And it's interesting because they both involve um, my, my uh, well, they weren't, they weren't in-laws at the time, but in-laws now. And so my in-laws live in Colorado. So my, my wife is from the mountains of Colorado. And, um, you know, sometimes you're in Colorado, if you've ever been to Colorado in a blizzard, you get blizzards. And so they live up near like, like Vail and a little small town called Basalt, which is by Glenwood Springs. And so when you fly into Denver, unless you're really, really brave and you fly into Aspen and that's a whole nother, that's like a next level of fear flying. But you fly into Denver, then you drive up the road about a three hour drive on a good day to Glenwood Springs and you exit. And so sometimes there's only one, just that one road and uh, there's not many things on that road. And so uh, several times we have been driving from the airport or from their house to the airport and we got stuck in a blizzard, and I'm not, and I'm from Texas, so my, my, um, you know, I've lived in Texas all my life, and, and so my idea of a blizzard, I'll call things blizzard sometimes. My wife's like, Rick, that's not a blizzard, that's just a little snow. I'm like, that's a blizzard. But we, we were, one time I remember I was um, dating my wife, and I think this might have been the very first time that I went to go visit my, my, who was just my girlfriend at the time, and um, so we're driving from her house to the airport. And we get stuck in a blizzard. And so it's her dad, her, and, and myself. We, again, this is the first time I met this man. So we get stuck. So we've missed our plane. It's late at night. And we, and we pull over at a roadside you know, hotel. And, um, and there, I, think there, I, I don't remember how many rooms. I think there might have only been one room. And so I, I, we get into the room. We check in. It's this awkward moment where you know, I've got my girlfriend there, my father-in-law, and these two beds. And, and so he goes, Smith? jump in. And so he, we, I jump in the bed with my father-in-law. So the two of us are in a bed. That's weird. And then his daughter's in a bed. And so like it, it, one time I told that story and they're like, why didn't you just make a pallet on the floor? I was like, I don't know. So we cuddled up. So now that's a kind of a funny story. Another time that we were driving from their house also to the airport, we get stuck in another blizzard. This time, I think I was married to my wife at this time. It, it was her mom and me, and no, I didn't sleep in the bed with my mother-in-law. That'd been really weird. And, and, and we got stuck in the blizzard and I had to use the bathroom. I had to use the bathroom and it was one of these blizzards. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Where it, like the, the, the snow or the ice or whatever it was was just like coming down like, like fire from the sky. Like you couldn't get out of the car and relieve yourself. You know, it was that bad. So I'm, so I'm like holding it, I'm doing that thing where you like kind of just, you know, you're breathing differently. You're just trying to hold it kind of, kind of like, then it just gets worse and worse. And, I'm, and so I'm, then I'm, then you start going to thinking about now I'm considering options. You know, now you're like, what do you do? Do I relieve myself back here? Do I pray that a, you know, but traffic wasn't moving. And it, so time just came, time just came. And I'm telling my wife, this is awkward, by the way. I'm like, hey, uh, I've really got to use the bathroom, really got to. And so finally I took a Gatorade bottle 
and I used the bathroom in the backseat of my in-law's car. That was, you talk about shame. I got to go to Regen for that. But it was awkward, man. Don't ever tell anyone that. So now we kind of joke about it. But man, that was like the worst case scenario. I mean, what do you do? So I'm sure some of you guys will have some suggestions later. So, um, but you know, we, we've, you may have some memorable road trip stories. You may have some memorable road trip stories. And the truth of the matter is all of us are on a memorable trip in our life. All of us are on a memorable trip in our life. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are today. We're on a memorable trip of discipleship. We're on a road of discipleship. In fact, the entire book of Mark really is about discipleship, following Christ to the cross. And so on the road to discipleship, sometimes it's helpful to have some road signs to navigate that life. And so today, as we kind of wrap up this semester, what I wanted to do is really give you three uh, quick road signs, three road signs to help us navigate our spiritual life. Three road signs to help us navigate our spiritual life. Um, if you got your Bibles, open it up, Mark 8. Mark 8, verse 27 is where we're going to be. And, um, you know, this is really the halfway point of Mark. You know, Mark has, up until this point, um, Mark, Jesus has called the disciples and he said, hey, will you follow me? We've seen Jesus do some incredible miracles. We've seen uh, Jesus do some amazing things. And so now we're at a turning point in the narrative. Again, these, these stories, these gospels were meant to be told out loud. And so people, um, it almost be like a movie. Like you're all kind of on the edge of your seat and the book of Mark is, is just fast paced. Boom, 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 boom. And so now we're at this turning point. And Jesus has his disciples and they're getting ready to go to Jerusalem. They're getting ready to go to the cross. And so uh, sign number one is this, what we believe about Jesus determines our destination. I put a fork in the road sign there because what we believe about Jesus determines our destination. Look with me at verse 27. It says, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? Who do people say I am? And they said, well, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others say you're one of the prophets. You see, the culture at the time, they, they came to this fork in the road. And the fork was, hey, who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus is? And, and society, much like today, had lots of views on Jesus. And they weren't all bad. They, weren't, they didn't say, hey, we don't believe in Jesus. They said, hey, we believe in Jesus. We think he's a really good guy. We think he's a prophet. We, we think he's John the Baptist, which was kind of weird because Jesus and John the Baptist were seen together at the same time. That's kind of weird. But they said, hey, man, we, we, we think he's a good guy. We think he's a good teacher. And they came to this fork in the road. They said lots of good things about Jesus, but they didn't say he was the Messiah. See, where the culture missed it when they came to this fork in the road is they said lots of things about Jesus. They had lots of ideas about Jesus, but they missed the most important thing was that Jesus was the, the long-expected Messiah. He was the one that all of the history of the world was waiting to come. They missed it. And so then uh, the disciples come to that fork in the road. Verse 29, Jesus asked the disciples, who am I? And so then the, the question, if you're there and you're listening to this narrative in, in the biblical times, you're on the edge of your seat. And you're going, hey, the culture missed it. The culture missed it. Are the disciples gonna miss it? And you're kind of on the edge of your seat and you're listening for a response. And then in verse 30, 
29 says, he asked him, who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. That word Christ means uh, uh, the anointed one. You're, you're, you're Christ. You're the anointed one. He, he finally gets it. For the first time in this book, for the first time in the book of Mark, the disciples get it. They go, hey, you're the Messiah. And what's crazy about this, if you read the book of Mark, Jesus never says, hey, I'm the Messiah to them. This is the first time in the book they look at Jesus and they say, you're the Messiah. This is the turning point in the book of Mark. He says, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You see, the disciples come to that fork in the road. The culture comes to that fork in the road. But then it zeroes in on us and, and we too come to that fork in the road in our life. You know, Christ looks at us and he says, Rick, who do you say I am? You know, Mike, who do you say I am? Robert, who do you say I am? You know, not, not who does your wife say I am, not who does the guy who brought you to the Bible study say I am, but Christ looks at each of you and he says, who do you say I am? Because at some point in our life, each of us has stood at that fork in the road and we're faced with that question, who do you say Jesus is? Is he a good guy? Is he a guy that you're just checking out? You're trying to see what this faith thing is all about? Or, or do you believe he's the Messiah? See, the Bible's clear that Christ is the Messiah. He's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. You know, the Bible says that we're, that we're born sinners. And, you know, if you, I, I talk to, to, to our students sometimes. And you talk to students and you go, hey, you only have 13, 14, 15 years of, of sin in your life. You know, I'm 37. I've got 37 years of mistakes and failures and areas that I have just messed up in my life. And so I'm very aware that I'm a sinner. You know, some of you guys have 30, 40, 50 years and you look back and the weight of your sin is overpowering. And so you're, you're well aware, well acquainted that we're sinners, that our sin has separated us from God. And, and no matter how many Bible studies you go to, no matter how many worship songs you sing before the sun comes up, you can never do enough good deeds to atone for your sin. You, you can never do enough good to make up for all the bad. And so that's why God had a plan. It's an amazing plan. The plan was say, I'm gonna send my son, Jesus. I'm gonna send my son, Jesus. He's gonna be murdered on a cross to pay for the penalty of our sin. All of Rick's sin, all of your sin. If someone brought you here this morning, this is the first time you've ever heard this message and you go, man, my life, you have no idea what's in my past. And the Bible says, Jesus says, hey, your sin, your sin. I was murdered on the cross for your sin. And then three days later, Jesus was risen from the dead. That's what we just celebrated Easter. And that was affirmation from God that he was satisfied. He was satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross. And he says, hey, whoever believes, whoever believes in me will be saved. Whoever believes in that message that Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead will be saved. And so I ask you that this morning, if you're here, have you come to that place in the fork in the road where you've given your life to Christ, you put your faith and trust in Christ? Do you believe he's the Messiah? You know, your confession of Christ is really a matter of life and death. This is, you know, when you're driving down the road and you have a fork in the road, you might get lost, you know, you might take a detour, but when it comes to Christ, that fork in the road is really a matter of life and death. Everything hinges in the balance of which way you choose to go. But he tells them this, he says, don't tell anyone. Isn't that interesting right there in verse 30? He strictly charged them, do not tell anyone. Do not tell no one about him. Why did he do that? Brings me to my second point. The road of discipleship involves suffering. The road of discipleship involves suffering. Verse 31 
says, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and he would be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and he would be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. See, this blew the mind of the disciples. Uh, That's why he said, hey, don't, don't tell anyone yet. You don't yet fully understand, Peter, why I came. You don't get, you, you, Peter, listen, you, you think I'm all about just walking on water and feeding people bread, thousands of people with a few loaves? You think I'm all about the miracles, healing the blind? That's what I've been up to. But we're about to make a shift. We're about to change direction. I'm about to go to a cross willingly. And see, what happened is Peter and all these disciples, they're thinking, hey, I'm looking for the Messiah. I'm looking for a king. See, every king that those guys knew ruled out of power. They were these these heavy-handed kings. They ruled out of power and might. See, but Jesus was a different kind of king altogether. He was a different kind of king. See, he's a king, but he's a servant king. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, I got to teach you something about me. Before you go out and share the message of the gospel, you need to know something. I'm going to lay my life down. I, I, I could command all of the angels in all of heaven to come and wipe out everything. But I'm about to go lay my life down, Peter. I'm, I'm, I'm not just a king. I'm a servant king. I came to lay my life down. And so not only is Jesus sharing what's going to happen to him, but he's setting an example to what would happen to those who would follow Christ, that the road of discipleship always involves suffering. You know, same thing, verse 34 and 35, he gives the disciples fair warning. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You know, sometimes in life, bad things happen, right? I mean, sometimes in life, things happen that we just don't like and we say, well, that's my cross to bear. You know, for instance, you know, you might be going to work today and you just have a really bad boss. And you go, man, I got this really bad boss. Woo, man, it's just my cross to bear to go to work today. You know, maybe you get cancer and you go, man, I got cancer. That's just my cross to bear. You know, I got cancer. That's my cross. That's my cross to bear. Or I married someone who just isn't very pleasant to live with. She's my cross. Hopefully that's not anybody in this room. But that's not a cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is saying here. That's just bad things that have happened. That's just general life suffering. That's just the the storms of life. You see, when Jesus talks about the cross, the cross is something you take up voluntarily. The cross is something that you, denying yourself and taking the cross up go hand in hand. That and right there puts them together. It says, hey, I'm not talking about the general storms of life. I'm talking about you laying your life down. See, the cross isn't just something that you tattoo um, on your arm or wear around your neck. The cross was a place to die. They, they killed people there. It, it was a torture device. And it wasn't a place you wanted to be. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be willing to take your cross up and follow me, both literally and figuratively. You know, in the scriptures, we only know... You know, you've heard it probably said before that 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred. I um, mean, the scriptures, we know of two. We know of James, son of Zebedee, he was killed by Herod. We know Simon Peter that from the book of Acts that he was crucified and murdered upside down on a cross because he said, hey, I'm not even worthy to die the same way of Jesus. And then we go to early church fathers. We go outside the Bible and we look at historical writings and we know that Andrew reportedly was murdered on an X-shaped cross, that Philip, 
according to the church writings, uh, died by being hung upside down with iron hooks through his ankles. Bartholomew, Bartholomew was crucified. Thomas uh, was sent to preach and he was stabbed with a spear. Matthias died by crucifixion. And so the disciples, uh, they suffered. They suffered literally and they suffered figuratively. And Jesus says, hey, you will suffer. If the disciples suffer, if Jesus suffer, that if you and I want to be disciples of Christ, we'll suffer. And as I said, there, there's really several types of suffering, right? There's the general storms of life, those big things that we all go through. Um, but then there's the topic of denying ourselves. There's the suffering that comes by voluntarily taking up your cross. A few commentators put it like this. Denying yourself means to renounce self, to cease to make yourself the object of your life and your actions. This involves a fundamental reorientation of the principle of your, of your life. God, not yourself, must be at the center of your life. We deny ourselves when we surrender ourselves to Christ and determine to obey his will. The once for all dedication is followed by a daily, a daily, and I would even say a moment by moment, dying to self as we take up the cross and we follow him. From the human point of view, we are losing ourselves. But from the divine perspective, we are finding ourselves. Jan Johnson, she writes for Billy Graham, and she says, as we die to ourselves, as we take up our cross, we no longer try to get our own way or try to get people to look up to us. We stop offering unasked for advice as if in self-importance, we think we always know better than others. We let go of trying to make a good impression on others. We find freedom from the self-focused. And to die to self is to set aside what we want in this moment and focus instead on loving God with everything that we got. This moves us from self-centeredness and closer to becoming open-hearted followers of Christ who care deeply for others. It's much easier to pay attention to the concerns and the interests and needs of other people when our own interests no longer consume us. You know, uh, denying yourself, that's really what it's all about. And denying yourself is different than self-denial. I'm going to tell you this real quick before we move on. You know, for instance, one time I remember training to run a race and um, I was trying to really watch what I eat. And this friend came over and she came over to our house to, to give us dinner or to have dinner with us. And she brought Sprinkles cupcakes. You guys know about Sprinkles cupcakes and they come in that really nice box and you open it up. And, um, and it was just like a temptation right there. It was sitting right there on my table. And so what do you do? I mean, you're either going to eat the cupcake or not eat the cupcake. And I just, I, I said, hey, you know what? I can't, I, I'm, I, I really can't eat the cupcake. You know, I made a decision in that moment to not eat the cupcake. It's self-denial, right? And so that's just self-denial. That's just making a choice to do something that, that is good. Denying yourself, denying yourself, taking your cross up daily is this. It's the only reason I'm doing this is because of my relationship with Jesus. See, I, I wasn't eating the, not eating the cupcake because I was trying to grow with Jesus. I was not eating the cupcake because I wanted to run better. I didn't want to, you know, eat 5,000 calories in a cupcake. But if you really want to know if you really want to know the litmus test of if you're really truly denying yourself, self-denial, taking up your crosses, you ask this question. Is what I'm doing, is the only reason I'm doing this, is the only reason this particular decision makes sense as a result of my relationship with Christ? That's what we want to do. Um, I, you know, I, we moved recently from, we were living in Irving, and then we moved to, um, moved to, to Richardson, 
And so I like, I, I'm a bath guy. Do we have any bath guys in here? Like you just like to take baths? So you're proud of that? Come on, there's like secret bath takers in here. You'll confess that in your group later. Um, so I like to take baths. And so I also like getting in a hot tub, okay? So I bought a hot tub off Craigslist, okay? That's a whole other story for another day. I disinfected it. And, and, but I, listen, it's awesome. My gate's always open. You guys feel free to come on back. But I bought this hot tub off Craigslist. We moved to Richardson. And when we moved to Richardson, we had to live in a condo because we didn't have a house. So there's a guy at Watermark. He had a house. And he said, hey, man, I said, I needed a place to store my hot tub. He said, I could put the hot tub in his backyard. So I put the hot tub in his backyard. We got a house. Then we moved the hot tub from his backyard to my house. The guy came. He set it all up, hit the buttons. Uh, everything worked. And then a few days later, um, the, um, one of the pumps started leaking and it was a pretty expensive repair. And we have a home warranty company. I called, hey, my hot tub pump is leaking. And the guy came out and, and he fixed it. And he was like, I don't remember the exact amount, seven, $800. And so um, it, it, I, it a couple of days later, I started thinking like, I just started having this weird feeling in my heart or stomach. I don't know what it was. of just like, hey, you know what? This particular, the, this pump in this hot tub, I had rebuilt it, you know, before in the past. I, I, had, I had used some parts and rebuilt it. It was kind of, so it wasn't a hundred percent. And then um, when the guy came over and, and checked it all out, I didn't open up under the hood and look to see if there was any leaks. So I started thinking, you know what? I don't really know if that warranty company should have you know, paid for the, that thing. I, don't, I just I started thinking that. So I asked my community group, hey, what do you guys think? I'm starting to feel this way. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna write these guys, I'm gonna pay back. I'm just gonna write these guys a letter and put a check in there. So I wrote, the, I wrote this company letter. I think I said, hey, I might've said I'm a believer. I wanna have integrity. Here's 700 bucks back. Like I, you, my, my conscience is worth more than the 700 bucks that I'm even, that's causing me to think about this. Man, I just, be, you know, be free. And so I just sent it off, man, you know, I felt good about doing that. And that decision, the only reason I did that really is just my relationship with Christ. I was like, man, I want to be above reproach. I did it. Well, the guy emails me back and he takes, he, he has a picture of my check tore up on his desk. And I, I don't remember the exact quote. I could find the email, but he says something to the effect of in all my years of doing business, I've never gotten a letter like this. Never gotten a letter like this. We're, I hope that you enjoy the hot tub pump. I don't need your check. And so the only reason, the only reason that I did that is because of my relationship with Christ. Ten years ago, I would have never done that. In fact, I would have tried to rip off the warranty company. Let me ask you a question. Um, what are you doing in your life right now that you can go, hey, the only reason I'm doing this is because of my relationship with Jesus. This decision, the only reason I'm doing this is because of my relationship with Jesus. What does that look like for you? And if you don't have anything like that in your life right now that you can point to, it's okay. There's grace, but we want to spur each other on. We should all have something in our life that we go, hey, the only reason I'm doing this thing is because of my relationship with Jesus. That's the only reason this thing makes sense. And so um, challenge yourself today in your community group. And I'm not sure what that looks like uh, for you. Last thing, a true life is found only in living for Jesus. I'm going to kind of rush through this one, but... Verse 35 and 37, it says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels uh, will save it. You know, Jesus wanted the disciples to know that the only way for them to have life is to give their life away for the gospel. Again, like we said, that's both figuratively and literally. God wanted them to yield to him. 
And Jesus wants us also to know that the only way to have life, real life, is that we would live for him, that we would yield to him. And this is really hard, right? Because the world outside these doors offers us everything that we think we need for happiness. It it offers us money, respect, maybe being known in your field, being respected by your peers, uh, getting your kids in the right kind of school, living in the right kind of zip code. You see, the world, really Satan wants to trick us into believing that you and I can build our kingdom right here. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that because every single day that we wake up, we're one day closer to leaving this little kingdom that we're building here. You know, I think one time before I've used that illustration of a sandcastle and that I think a lot of what our life is like. You know, we build these sandcastles. They're elaborate. They're awesome. They're huge. People come over. They love your sandcastle. They brag about their friends about how awesome your sandcastle is. They may write in magazines about how awesome your sandcastle is. But the problem with that is that sandcastle is only one wave away from being at the bottom of the ocean. That that sandcastle has no eternal value. And it would be a travesty if we spent our entire life building a sandcastle. And on our deathbed, we look back and say, man, we give all of our years to building something that has no value. It'd be foolish. You know, a hundred years from now, a hundred years from now, the only thing that's gonna matter is a person's relationship with Jesus. And a hundred years from now, the only thing that's gonna matter, you're not gonna care about any accolade, anything hung on your office wall. You're not gonna care if your name's on the side of the building. You're not gonna care if you're a partner. You're not gonna care if you got the promotion. And a hundred years from now, the only thing you're gonna care about is your relationship with Jesus and the people that you poured into this side of heaven, that you help them grow more to Jesus. And so we've got to live our life like that. We've got to believe in this. We've got to believe that we're more, as men, we're more than just the sum of what we can produce, what other people think about us and what we have. We've got to know that um, Christ is calling us to yield to him, that we would get caught up in losing our life for the sake of the gospel. Let me ask you this question. What, what are you chasing this morning? You know, what, what excites you as you rush off to work today? Is it making another dollar, g- getting another step up the corporate ladder? Or are you excited today about going, hey, man, I, I, there's somebody at my work that I could invite to this Bible study next semester. Hey, there's somebody at my work that's unchurched that I could invite to church even this Sunday. There's somebody at my church, there's a young man at my church <clears throat> or a couple at my church that, that their marriage is a train wreck. And I could share with them how re-engage has <clears throat> changed my marriage and maybe invite their marriage, maybe invite them to re-engage. You know, what, what in your life today gets you excited? Is it things of the world, the sandcastle, or is it things of eternal value? And so true life, true life, I'm telling you, is only found. I wish I had more time to go into my testimony, but I can tell you, and many men in this room can tell you, that we've tried to find life in the wrong places, and it le- leaves us feeling hurt, destroyed, and many of us are still paying the price of the consequences of our sin from years ago. And so true life, true joy is only found as we trust in Jesus. Um, John Piper says this, and I'm going to read one quote, read this, and then we'll be finished. If we are to rejoice in our heavenly hope, if we are to rejoice in our heavenly hope, the fact that our reward is great in heaven, it must be because we ultimately have renounced our vain hopes and the things of the world. They are just toys that, as C.S. Lewis reminds us, toys that were never intended to possess our hearts. You know, what what toys possess your hearts this morning? Man, I get caught up in this. I get caught up in this. 
And what we got to do is just say, Lord, with the help of community, help with friends around us, would you help us to lay those things? And, we, and you can still have fun. You can still enjoy things. But, man, Lord, would you protect my heart from getting caught up in that? And let me know that true life is found only in living for you. I hope you read this chapter in the book. I thought, I thought this chapter was really good. If you haven't read it, it's worth reading. I want to read one quote out of the back of this um, from C.S. Lewis. And he says, give up yourself. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will be be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else is thrown in. Well, Father, we, um, man, we wanna be guys that are about your business. We wanna be guys that, um, that live for you. We, we, we do not wanna believe the lie that our identity and our life is caught up in everything that the world has to offer out these doors. It's gonna leave us feeling empty. It's gonna leave us with regrets. And so, Father, would you help us to chase you? Would you help us to find our life in you? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.